I think about legacy a lot. I probably think about legacy because I have young kids, and I don't feel like I have a legacy that was given to me. I got a weird family dynamic. I don't really have a relationship. I don't really, I mean, I do not have a relationship with my mom and dad anymore. I haven't had a relationship with them in eight years. There's a lot that I'm discovering about myself and who I am that I can't go to my parents and ask them questions. I don't get to go to them and tell my kids about their heritage and who they are. When my dad was growing up, I do know this, he grew up poor, he grew up in a mining town, and then his parents made enough money. My grandma worked in hotels, and my grandpa worked in a mine that they bought a small farm in Orem, Utah. And my grandparents are Mexican, and so they owned this farm where they had cherries, and then they would bring migrant workers in every year, and that's how they would make money. So my dad grew up on this farm, and he was a translator for all of the migrant workers. And my dad growing up in Orem, Utah, means that he was Mexican in a very white area with a lot of Mormons. And so when he went to the Navy and then came back and was a businessman in Salt Lake City, when people asked him, well, what does Marquez mean? He would tell them Spanish because he wanted to be white. And so me growing up, all of the time, my dad would tell me, you are Spanish. You are not Mexican. I would go to my grandparents' house to their cherry farm where in the summers I would be there when migrant workers were there and my grandma would be making tortillas and refried beans and my dad would tell me, we are Spanish. And then my grandma died in the fourth grade and I never ever talked to that side of my family again. And growing up, because I grew up in a white affluent area, my dad told me, we are Spanish. And then later in my life, I moved to Los Angeles, and now I work for one of the largest Latino companies in Los Angeles County. I have another job, by the way. Um, <laughs> my kids got to eat. So, and I'm really proud of that company because of the legacy that it lives into. It's one of the largest Latino organizations in our county, which is saying something in, in a Latino county. And it's got a beautiful heritage about the Chicano movement and the Latino mu movement and the Mexican-American movement here in Los Angeles. And I'm really proud to be a part of this organization and the work that we do there, not only from a nonprofit side of things, but it's a for-profit entity that's made billions of dollars that pays for all of its nonprofit works, particularly providing 2,000 scholarships a year to Latino first-generation immigrant kids. It's an incredible place to be a part of. Now, to get a work there, something I've also done is I've done 23andMe to learn about my Mexican heritage and my family that's from Jalisco, Mexico. I know nothing about it. I don't even try to pretend like I'm Mexican-American. It's not how I grew up. There's nothing in my heritage or how I live where I'm trying to like claim something that I don't understand, and yet it's there. And yet it's just a reality of who I am. And for me, there's a whole legacy that I don't understand about my own life. And so for me, what I care about is how do I choose legacy now? How do I create the family that I want now because I don't have family? All of my extended family is not there anymore because I had the crazy idea of starting a progressive church like New, Ab New Abbey. And so I get fun text messages from my cousins saying, you are leading people to the lake of fire because you love gay people. Talk about a fun text to receive from your cousin at 1 a.m. <laughs> Hi, Tim. Hope you're well. How's your mother? That's literally what I said back to him. And I know many of you in this room are in the same boat. You're figuring out your legacy in 2023. You're figuring out your family heritage. Some of you have a great legacy. Some of you have a great heritage. But for me, I feel like I'm in this season of life where I'm creating one, where I'm creating a heritage and a legacy so that my kids can live into something different in this world. And perhaps the thing that I'm most proud of, of the heritage and legacy that I'm helping to create for my kids, is this place.
You are the heritage and legacy for my children to learn and to love Jesus. That means everything to me. I mean everything to me. I do not have a family. This is my family. Some of you are my family. And what I hope for for the church is that we take that seriously with one another. Like I said in the beginning, you don't have to be here. You could be at brunch in Los Angeles today. And you're here for a reason. And so if we're here, man, then I want to get excited about committing to one another. I want to get excited about creating a legacy. Because I think there's rare places in this world where our kids will have so much to un less to unlearn about Jesus than many of us did. We have an opportunity for a full picture of what God can be doing in the world. I love the humility of this place and the openness of this place and our ability to step into evolution here. That we're not scared to ask some questions, that we're not scared to see the humanity in other people. But quite frankly, I think we're terrified of commitment. I think we're terrified to step into things. And it's not just us, I think it's a liberal issue across the board. You want to build an army? You want patriotism? You want to move somewhere? Get a bunch of conservatives in a room. You want to ask a bunch of questions, be cynical, and not agree on anything? Man, there's a lot of liberals out there for you. It's partly a joke and it's partly true. Our strength is the ability to ask questions. Our inability is our ability to execute things sometimes. And we have an opportunity. I can't change the political structure. I can't change all of the institutional structures. What I care about is cleaning up my side of the street and how can I change my corner of the world? And that's why I believe in this place. I believe in the ability for us to tell a bigger story of Jesus, and I believe in our ability to live into community in a different way. But that is an effort I think that all of us have to live into, and I'm excited to think about that with one another. I'm excited to dream about that with one another. And so to think about legacy, we're gonna talk about some things. We're gonna talk about Jesus and community, and if we can do that, then we gotta wake up. And if we can wake up, then we're going to talk about the apostles, because talk about a good time. And if we can talk about the apostles, then we got to grow up. And then if we can do that, it's actually supposed to say David Show, but I maybe sent that text in wrong. But anyways, <laughs> David Show, the artist, but whatever. And then if we can grow up, then we can show up. And if we can show up, then we can talk about support and sacrifice in our lives. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who's never been to New Amsterdam before. And quite frankly, this person is like, very, maybe like anti-New Abbey in a lot of ways. We had a big conversation on why they voted for Trump pre that. And so, um, and whatever, I'm not gonna get into that right now. But here's what I am gonna get into, is he just started asking me these questions about like, well, what, what, what is your community? Why do you care about this? Like, how do you make sense of it? It seems like you have a different set of values than what he has understood about church. And I said, church for me is simple in two ways. Here's the thing that I think that we all want. At the end of the day, we are a Jesus community. We're not a progressive community, we're not an inclusive community, we're not a whatever community. We are all of those things because we're a Jesus community. We are not those other things and then a Jesus community. That's just the reality of what this place is about. Now for me, I believe in like a very universal Christ. I'm not scared of Buddhism, I'm not scared of a lot of other things out there. I just believe this about every single human being. You have a way of life that you have to choose. You're gonna pick an ideology, you're gonna pick a perspective, you're gonna pick something, and that's how you're going to live out your life practically in the world. For me, that way of living that I believe works, that I'm just simply choosing, and quite frankly, that I just know the most about, is a way of Jesus. 
And I believe that a way of Jesus with kindness and gentleness and empathy, the way that we treat our neighbors, the way that we cross boundaries, how we don't other people, a radical view of a different kingdom that cannot be defined by any political structure in this world, that is the way that I want to live into the world. Now, that's fine and dandy. You can literally, that can be enough for you, and I believe that Christianity or following the way of Jesus can beautifully work for your life. That's one pole. On the other side of this thing, I think many of you are still in this room because you want to experience God. That's the other win in all of this. That I believe as a human being, for you to live your fullness as a human being, you have to practice a way of life. You just have to, or your life ain't going to work for you. That's just real. Pick your thing, but if you do it, do it right. We have a phrase in my house, uh, choose the right things. Now, how, do we, how do we say it? Do what's right and do the right things. Man, I'm already blanking on what I tell my own children. <laughs> do as I say, not as I tell you, apparently. No? Even that's not how that works. I'm losing my brain this morning. Doesn't matter. You get what I'm going with here. Your life's got to work for you in some way. And then I think also the thing that we long for as human beings is we want to connect with something larger than ourselves. And I believe that the Jesus narrative provides us with that. I think as we go around the room, we can all talk about different experiences that we've had with God and things that we long for inside of us that we want to reconnect with. That's the reason why so many of us came out of evangelicalism. I often joke about evangelicalism, but I understand it. A reason that you get into a room and you put on lasers and light shows and fog machines, and I'm not literally trying to trash you, I'm literally trying to tell you, is because it's like snorting cocaine. It's like, yes, yes, a God experience. Like, that's why you're doing it. You're trying to, like, get yourself amped up. Let's go bring down those lights, and let's get some movement going on. That's not bad. You're doing it because you want, we're trying to connect with something. The problem with that for a lot of people is that you did it so long you feel numb now to that thing. And so we're all searching in different ways to continue to connect with something. It doesn't mean that music and all that doesn't work for us. It beautifully does. I mean, come on, this morning, what was the song? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Oh, my God, that little 90s baby in me was like, okay, I'm alive, Jesus. Let's do this thing. I'm not too cynical for this. I'll take it. So God can show up in different ways, but that's what we're hoping for is a way of life that works for us and a God that we actually experience. And I think that that's where the early church was. Follow along with me in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 2. What happens between here and chapter 2 is Jesus gets teleported up to heaven, beam me up, Scotty, it's a good time. Uh, all the apostles watch. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes on everybody. We will come back to those passages another day. But then we get into chapter 2, and it says this. 
that you will not abandon me. No, that's not definitely not it. I think it's verse 42 through 47. Whoops, all right. And that's, my friends, why we have a handle. Just excuse the awkward delays and my awkwardness altogether. So here we go. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The book of Acts is trying to tell us this. It's trying to show us a way of practicing Jesus and a way of experiencing God. When I was uh, at APU, prestigious Christian college, the Harvard of the West, um, I was a biblical studies major, which is a great way not to make money, by the way. So if you are curious and being poor, please get a biblical studies or a theology major. It's really not going to be beneficial for you. Um, but I had a great time doing it. And one of the classes that you take there is you take Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Luke, Acts. And the reason that you do that is that this is just how the Bible works. For the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, as we call it, the story of liberation and salvation is the story of Exodus. This is God showing up. This is one of our pillars over here, right? We experience God. Maybe we experience God in the stillness of a burning bush. Maybe we experience God in big magical ways because God is doing big things in our lives. Maybe we experience God in the splitting of the Red Sea. Maybe we experience God in all the people doing something around us. But that's the Exodus story, that God shows up in your life at times when you didn't think that anything could happen. That God shows up at times in the most God-forsaken places. That's the story of the Gospels, that Jesus constantly is showing up in people's lives when they thought that no one would show up in their life. The woman caught in adultery, right? A demon-possessed man. You pick the story. People who are just hungry, God keeps showing up and liberating them where they're at. Now, for many of us in this room, those are the stories that we were given of Jesus. God does the work, and Jesus does everything for you, and Jesus will sprinkle magical pixie dust on you, and your life is going to be okay because you said all of the prayers. But the reality is there's no responsibility for us in those narratives. The story is, yes, God shows up. Yes, God liberates. Yes, God saves. Yes, God will do God's part so that you will have an example to go do your part in the world. It is not enough for Jesus to care for the poor. Unless we all care for the poor, there will still be the poor. It is not enough for Jesus or God to free people from oppression if we don't choose to participate in more meaningful ways than a few social media posts. I'm just saying some shit. Then the oppression will not change in this world. We have to participate if we want to see this kingdom of God enacted in the world. That's what the story is. So there's Exodus, and then you get into the book of Deuteronomy, which many of us never got to in the one-year reading plan because numbers was in the way. It was just too difficult to get there. Just, just to be honest, it was hard. But Deuteronomy is all about how do you live out this community now? Now that we've experienced the revolution of God liberating us over here, how do we actually do it because we're not God? How do we create a world that works for other people as well? The story of the Gospels are the same. Jesus is modeling for the disciples and the apostles what this liberation life and salvation life look like, this new kingdom. And then the book of Acts is now the really tough part. Jesus is gone. 
God is always with you. God is reminding you of that, that the Holy Spirit is in you. That when you go on some spiritual journey looking for God, you've had God the entire time. That's the story. And now how do you live this out in the church? And every generation and every church at every single different time has to ask those questions for themselves. How are we going to do this thing? Because if we don't do this thing, here's the secret. Nobody else is going to do it for you. No one's going to do your work for you. No one's going to go to your therapist for you. No one's going to pay your bills. Sometimes they do, but not for a long time. Right? You have to carry your own water. And that's the story. There's going to be times where it's too much and it's difficult, but the beauty of the Jesus community is there's going to be time where God will step in for you, or thankfully you have such a deep fabric of people in your life, we call that the church, that when you are in those places of difficulty and you need others, there's a whole army of people standing behind you. And I hope that that's true of our community. And so what we think of first in this story is this reality of we have to wake up. Here's the definition of wake up. Commit to a deeper reality of your own maturity, identity, and connection to God. That's the story. Whether it's your Exodus God liberation moment, your Jesus liberation moment, you have the moment where you wake up in some way and you are asking yourselves deeper questions about your identity and connection to God. If you've, I was going to say raise your hand if you've been in 12 steps. That's not really good for anonymity, though. Um, so I'll just raise my hand because I'm in one. Fine admitting that. Uh, is that the first few steps is realizing your connection to a higher power. You got yourself into the addiction. You are not getting yourself out. Something else has to get you out of there. And we call that thing God. We call that thing a higher power. We call that thing Jesus in this place. And then you go do a bunch of steps. You got to work this thing out so that you can live a life, right? And so we wake up in some way. And so for us, New Abbey, the question is, how do we begin to just create a community where we can honor and name the places that God is moving, where we can think about all the places that God is impacting our lives, and how do we grow in our identity there? How do we go to an Enneagram class? How do we meet some people at a pancake breakfast? I don't, there's all kinds of different things that we're trying to offer and create here. And it's not exclusively limited to this by any means, but we're going to do everything that we can so that you can grow in your identity and your connection to God. And that's the power of what any community is about, is that we have to wake up in some way. And if we can wake up and connect with uh, God, then we can also grow up. Grow up is the more serious we take our development, discipleship, meaning our overall health, emotional, mental, physical, practical, and spiritual, the more likely we are to connect to God, ourselves, and others. The thing that I missed in wake up is the reality of the apostles. In the, in the ancient church, someone became an apostle simply because of this. They saw the resurrected Christ. People get into this debate with me all the time, like, why do we pick the books of the Bible and this and that? Every single book of the Bible that is there for a reason in the New Testament is because one of those apostles saw the resurrected Christ. That's how the early church saw it. So there's other books that were lit, written later and all these other things, but the early church was just asking themselves, who saw the resurrected Jesus? And the question is always the same for us today. Maybe you haven't seen the resurrected Jesus, although a lot of you have done mushrooms, so maybe you have. Um, but have you experienced God? That's the joy of it. Do you see the resurrected Christ in those around you? And if you've experienced that resurrected Christ in whatever way, then it's your job now to go take that story forward. 
That was the story of the early church. That's the legacy that we live into. I am blown away all of the time that in 2023, on a Sunday, we are sitting here today and we're still talking about a Palestinian guy who was taught 2,000 years ago. That should blow your mind. We're still talking about a Jewish faith and these stories about a Red Sea being split and somebody seeing a burning bush. You're not here talking about some Babylonian God. You're not here talking about the Roman Empire. Think of all of the empires who have come before us. And we are not here talking about those stories. That should blow your mind. You are here thousands of years later because we stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of those who have passed on a legacy to us. They experienced something in their time and they believed it so much that they committed it so that we would have something to step into. And now it's our jobs. That 50 years from now, 100 years from now, there's going to be a whole bunch of people at New Abbey Mars or wherever they're going to be, right? And they're going to say, man, there were some people who created a legacy for me. There's some people who finally got me over the hump that I had to deal with as a human being. Because when I grew up, I was told that you can't be gay and Christian. And then I finally could be my entire identity in the same place. When I grew up, I was told that I couldn't have science and I couldn't have this. When I grew up, I couldn't connect these dots together. But then there was a group of people who asked some questions. They read like two Richard Rohr books, right? They listened to a Rob Bell podcast and they did some work. And because of that, right, now I get a much fuller experience as a human being where I still get to be all of who I am. I still get to live into the image of God of who I am. And I get to pass on a legacy of faith. I don't have to pick either or. I get to be both and. What an incredible gift that those people did for me. They were pioneers in this thing. Pioneers in this thing. And we get to be a part of that. Your apostles for a different generation. Would we commit to that reality? And if we can wake up in our own way, then can we also grow up? Can we start to pick some things that change who we are as human beings? Will we commit to some maturity in a different way? I love David Cho. He's just like the quirkiest artist. If you don't know who David Cho is, uh, you can go look him up. He's like a, a Banksy kind of figure. Uh, David Cho made a ton of money about 10 years ago because he created a bunch of artwork for Facebook. And so, you know, he got a normal $300 million check, as we all do. And since then, he's never sold any of his art again. He just wants to work for free. He's like, I'm plenty rich, whatever. But he went on this like 10-year journey that he talks about where he said, I didn't know my legacy either. I grew up as a conservative Christian Korean American, and my faith no longer connected with me. And he wanted to be something different in this world. And so he tells like wild stories. That for 10 years, part of his story was, he's like, I made a commitment to myself to be a player. You're like, that's weird. But he said he believed that in his culture, Asian men couldn't be players. So he went out there, and that was his goal. I'm not recommending that. I'm just telling you the man's goals. All right? And then he said, I'm tired of being the starving artist. So I'm going to go out there, and for five years, I just want to make as much money as possible just to see if I can do it. He did all of these things while at the same time choosing to go to these like, remote African villages where he would teach art to people. And then in, in some of these remote African villages, he heard that there was a dinosaur still. There wasn't, by the way. But he went to, like, Congo jungles to look for a dinosaur. When he's in the Congo jungles, like a missionary who's been there for, like, 40 years, he's like, do you really think you're the first person to come here and look for dinosaurs? And the missionary told him, you're not looking for a dinosaur. You're trying to find yourself. You're looking for God. And you just happen to have enough money to travel to the jungle in Congo to look for a dinosaur. 
And he said he did all of these things, trying to change his heritage and his legacy and to be something different. And he's come back full circle and he says, and the thing I care about most now is spirituality. I realized that all of that other stuff, I played the game, I did all of the things, I tried it out, and it just didn't work. It did something. Like, I have all this freedom. I got $300 million. But really what I want is something deeper. And he's already asking himself this question, like, I got to grow up in some way. I want to leave a different legacy for the world. Maybe I was out there trying to go on a search about who I was becoming, but I realized that's not the person I want to be. I want to be somebody else who passes something different on. And so he still goes back to those same villages and teaches them art, and he brings that art back right to the West. And it's, it's this really beautiful story that you can you know, check out David Cho on your own time. But uh, it's the power of legacy. That legacy happens when we're willing to grow up. And maybe the question for us is, are we willing to wake up? Are we willing to be people who are apostles for a new generation, willing to tell a bigger story of God for those who need it? Are we willing to grow up? Are we willing to step into our own maturity in this place? Are we willing to say, hey, I'm going to do the work because there's other people who need me to grow up, who need me to ask different questions, who need me to live a different life? Sometimes in the world of liberalism, it becomes all about us. This is one of those stories of start making it about some other people as well. People need me to share my story. People need what I have to offer. That's why we have conversation time in this room all the time. So you can be like, oh my God, this person who I just talked to, they have so much in my life and I have so much for them and that's the beauty and the fabric of a community. And so if we can wake up and we can grow up, then can we begin to show up? Definition of show up I have is when we wake up, grow up and show up for others and then and be in service to others and the world. That is not a good sentence, I just realized. <laughs> I will go correct that later. My brain is processing that in real time with you all. So let me retranslate it, because that's absolutely trash. Um, <laughs> truly, it's just re reality. Something I think about this community is, thank you for laughing at that. That's good. It's, it's really bad. It's just sometimes it is. You just got to name it. Can we support one another, and can we sacrifice for one another? In the 12-step world, the 12-step is, now that I have had a spiritual awakening, may I take what I have learned and pass it on to the next person. You don't do that to the 12th step, by the way. Like, the craziest thing in the world is somebody who's like two days of sobriety, and you're like, I got so much to teach you, right? You're like, you don't. You really don't. Like, ever, anyone ever met a sophomore in college? Like, you come home, and you've read like four books, and your parents are idiots, right? <laughs> I've been there, right? You know so much more than everyone else on planet Earth. Sometimes growing up just takes a little bit of time. There's a little bit of maturation that takes place, and then we can show it for one another's lives. But you don't have to be perfect to show up. You don't have to be all the, way there, all the way there to show up, but you do need to start showing up. And this is my hope for this community. I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and they were saying to me, I'm considering moving, and if I move, I don't know if anyone at New Abbey would be there for me to help me move. Oof. That's not like guilt on anybody. That's more of a question of like, would we? Are we creating a community where we would just simply show up at the most basic levels for one another? Like, that's what I want to know. That's the thing that I'm committed to. That's the type of community that I want to build. Are we willing to sacrifice for one another? Like, I think about this all of the time. I think about it a lot financially because that's just the way that I think. Um, and it's something that I, I love in the world. Is This place is never going to grow unless we learn to sacrifice in that way. This is not a tithing sermon, but we can go there if you would like. Um, it's going to take sacrifice. I, I know so many people in this community where 20% of you are paying, paying for 80% of everything. 
And you're choosing to sacrifice to do that. You really are. Because the amount of money that you're giving, honestly, you could go to Hawaii, you could buy another house, you could do another something else, but you're choosing to give this place for a reason. And for some of you, maybe that's $5. For some of you, maybe that's $5,000. I just believe it's a tangible of saying, no, I'm sacrificing because I believe that this place needs to go on and needs to move forward. Like, we sit in here sometimes. Now I'm just in a mood, so I'm going to say all the things. Great. And we're, like, begging people, please help out with kids. We have weeks where we just don't have enough people to help take care of our kids. And I want to be in a church where we just do it. I want to be in a church where I feel like I'm not trying to guilt my church and community and wanting to serve and sacrifice for one another. And I'm, this is an invitation, not some like shame sermon. It's what I hope for. I just am at this place now where we're 10 years into New Abbey. And for me, I'm asking these questions. I want to be here. I want to be in this community because some of you are my family. You are the people, I don't care if we're here, we can meet in my backyard and you are my family and we're going to do church together. But I also know that sometimes there's other people that want to come into this safe, beautiful, diverse community and they're just not there yet to sacrifice. And if that's you, I totally get it. If you're like new here today, this is not for you. Take a breather, grab a donut, we'll get you some coffee, right? But if you've been around here, please come join me in supporting and sacrificing for one another. Because I really wonder, like, are we going to be here five years from now if we don't do it? I will be, and I think a few of us will be, but I want more people to be if that's what they need. This sermon definitely went in a direction that I didn't think it's going to go, so just bear with me in that. I just feel like I've had all these things that have built up and piled up, where I'm just a pastor 10 years after the fact, and I realize this. Here's some just like personal information about my life. I don't need this place for the money. I'm not a pastor who this is my job and I'm terrified to be fired. I have another business. I've got another job. I'm here so badly because I want to because I believe in how my kids learn about Jesus from this place. And I say that without any of the fire, or even though I was just yelling at you for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and I think, no, Abby, what I'm saying, and this year was hard also. Oof, I didn't think I was gonna go there. This year has been a hard year. And I'm more committed than ever about what this place can be and what I believe that this place is. And I just wanna give my life to it. Um, and I want anyone else who wants to join to say like, yeah, I'm in too, man. I want to figure it out. Like, I don't have kids. I'm probably never going to have kids because I'm smarter than you, Corey. Um, <laughs> but I do believe in legacy. I do believe in what this place can be, and I want to show up. So that's really what this is all about. I think there's a lot of sermon about a lot of other things. But me, it's just me standing here saying, like, man, I believe in us. I believe in where we can go. I believe in the story that we're sharing. And I know this. We're only going to get there together. Um, and 10 years in, sometimes I'm just tired of begging people to volunteer. I'm tired of convincing people to give. I'm tired, like, I get the deconstruction thing. Like, man, I'm going to be all about that. I I'm not the person who's like, well, now that I'm deconstructing, you get over it. No, take all of the time that you need. If you're so skeptical of institutions, take all of the time that you need. If you're skeptical of authority, take all of the time that you need. But I know this, without a healthy church, without healthy institutions, without healthy organizations, we just don't change our corner of the world. This is how the real work gets done. And we're going to do that together. So that's my invitation. I should have saved you all 30 minutes and just said that. <laughs> but thanks for going on a journey with me this morning. Because I got a lot of things built up. And I believe in you all. And I believe in what we're doing. I'm so grateful. I feel very emotional. And so with that, we just close your eyes a second. Maybe put like your hand on your gut and your hand on your heart.
Take just a big breath in. And exhale a big breath out. And God, we just ask that for all the ways that you're moving in this community, will we be awake to it? God, for all the opportunities that we have to grow, would we commit to it? And God, thank you for the gift that we get to show up in each other's lives. In Jesus' name. If you find those same three or four people around you and answer this question, how can you commit to the legacy of New Abbey? Enjoy. (laughs) 